Good morning. Today's scripture is found in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. I'll be reading from the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, the power, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in wow, such a beautiful collection of uh, songs that praise the greatness and the goodness of our God. And it's so great to hear you sing. Good morning, Trinity Church. Thank you for being here. Uh, I'm Pastor Jeff Gangle. Just to add my welcome to what's already been extended to you. Um, thank you for making the effort to be here and be a part of our worship together. And I told the first service and I tell you too, it just so encouraging and uplifting to hear the voices of God's people joined together in worship and song. So uh, thank you for singing out those praises this morning. You know, I mentioned this, I think early on in this uh, coronavirus pandemic, we, we sang that song and, and where the phrase that Allison alluded to, uh, it's your breath in my lungs. And I made mention there and it still strikes me even as we sing it today and this, in the face of this virus that attacks the lungs and the ability to breathe, for us to be able to say and sing and proclaim, it's His breath in our lungs, and to remember and re remind ourselves that every breath we take is a gift from Him, and that our lives are in His hands. You will not take your final breath until it's God's time and plan for that. If you've given your life to Him, your life is in His hands, and your breath is from Him. So it's great that we can sing out and use our breath to give praise to Him this morning. So let's pause for a minute. Let's pray one more time as we come to His Word, make sure that we're ready to hear from Him. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we do thank You for this privilege of worship. Thank You for this opportunity to gather together. And Lord, we never want to take that for granted. We always want to make sure that we are reminding ourselves of how much of a privilege it is to be able to come together as Your people. So Lord, I, I've thank you for each person that's gathered here in person. I thank you for each one that's watching this service online and participating even from a distance. I thank you that you have united our hearts in this moment for this purpose of listening to you and hearing your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be good listeners, good hearers, and then doers of your word, that we would be responsive today, that we would, that we would hear what you have to say to us 
as a whole, but then individually too, ways that you're going to call out obedience and, and response from us and that we would be willing to step into that courageously, boldly today. And so, Lord, I, I thank you for this time, and I pray that you would guard my words, help me to rightly and accurately communicate your truth this morning, and we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of your living Word to be at work in us to accomplish the transforming work that only you can do in our hearts today. So we give you this time, we give you ourselves, in Jesus' name, amen. The end is near. And if you saw our video Beth and I made yesterday, you saw me making a little poster up. I didn't bring my poster with me today, but you know, maybe you've seen something like this in the past. It's somebody at a street corner, a doomsday prophet, you know, proclaiming the end is near. You know, I think it used to be more common a couple of decades ago that you would see this. And maybe this was back in the days of the Cold War and nuclear proliferation. And so everybody kind of had that sense of, oh, the end could be soon, any day. And so you saw more of that now. But of course, now here in 2020, with a pandemic and with fires and hurricanes and wars and riots and, and all the things going on in our world right now, Maybe this is a time that these signs are going to come back out again, and we're going to see more of this reminder that the end is near. And so when you see somebody holding a sign, it, it seems like an ominous warning, right? And that's kind of the way we take it. That's kind of the way we hear it, that the end is near. That means the world is coming to an end. It means um, Armageddon is upon us, and, and everything is going to fall apart, and, and this, it's this prophetic sense of doom. But I like this one comic that I also found about this. If, I don't know if you can see it from where you are. If you're watching on home, you can see it. The guy comes up to the guy with a sign, and then it is near, and he says, is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> and actually, that's a good question. And I think that's kind of what Peter is doing today as is, is he comes to the beginning of this, this passage that we're studying today, and he says, the end of all things is near. He doesn't mean it just as a warning of impending judgment, he's talking to believers and he means it as something that is a message of, of comfort and of hope for them. Because remember, these were believers in, in Asia Minor who were beginning to suffer for their faith. They were beginning to experience persecution for their faith. And so for them to be reminded of this promise that the Lord Jesus was coming back for them, that was a good thing. That was a great promise. And so as we come to this passage this morning, I want us to think about it in kind of a similar way because if you're here this morning and you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, then the reminder that the end is coming, that Jesus is coming back, is a wonderful, comforting message. But it also means we have some responsibilities because of that. So let me take you back to the end of last week's passage, Jason's messages. He gave the exposition on verses 5 and 6 of 1 Peter 4, reminding us that Peter says there that one day there will be an accounting for our lives and that God will be the judge and, and he judges the living and the dead. And Peter's very clear when he gets to verse 6 in that passage that for those who have rejected God's gift of salvation, there is judgment coming. But then he reminds us at the end of verse 6, for those who have accepted that gift of grace, what is ahead for us is life and life eternal. 
And so then Peter follows right in, in the, the beginning of our passage today, verse 7, and he says, and that time is coming soon. Okay, we have to pause there for just a minute, though, because we know this was 2,000 years ago that Peter wrote these words, right? 2,000 years ago. Did Peter get this wrong? If he thought Jesus was coming soon then and Jesus hasn't come yet, did he miss the boat on this? Remember what happened when Jesus rose from the dead, he showed himself to his followers, and then he was getting ready to ascend into heaven. And remember what the disciples said. Peter was with them there. He says, they asked Jesus, is, is this the time you're going to establish your kingdom? They were still waiting for this, hoping Jesus was going to set up his kingdom on earth right then and there. And Jesus says, no, it's not now. In verse, one of chapter, uh, verse 7 of chapter 1 in Acts, Jesus says to his disciples, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So one of the last words Jesus leaves with them is, yes, I'm coming back, but you don't know the time or the date. And so when Peter writes now some 60 years after the ascension of Christ, he's not telling these believers, okay, I know the date and time, and it's going to be such and such a date, and that's not what he's saying. What he means is that Jesus could return at any moment. We call this the imminent return of Christ, meaning, and it's still true today, that Jesus Christ could come back. There's nothing that has to happen before he could come on the clouds. And so this, these words of Peter are still true for us today. The end of all things is near. And it fits with the theme of the book. So remember we've talked about in the book of 1 Peter, our theme is living hope. And so Peter is giving hope, reminding us of the hope here that's based on Christ's return. Because we have this hopeful expectation of the imminent return of Christ, therefore there are certain priorities in our lives. And this is the beauty of this hope that we have. And we've talked about this before as we've been going through this book. It's not just hope for something future. Yes, we have that hope. So as believers, we have the hope and the promise of heaven, of eternity with our Lord Jesus Christ. But that hope gives us hope for the present too. It makes a difference in our lives here and now and how we live and our attitudes about things and the way we respond to people. Everything is different because of that hope for the future. And so that's our focus today in these verses. And so the title for today's message is Living with the End in Sight. So how do we live knowing that the end is coming, the end is near, as Peter says? How do we live? And that's what he's going to tell us. Peter's going to give us three priorities as we live with our eyes on the skies. Here's how we live in the here and now. So if you have your Bible, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you're not there already, open up your phone, electronic device, wherever you've got it. Follow along as we go through these few verses here. And the first principle today is because the end is coming, pray alertly. Be alert and pray. The end of all things is near, he says in verse 7. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Now, catch the order here because Peter tells us first to be alert and sober-minded so that we can pray. So he's calling us to a particular mindset. He's not telling us, now this is what you should pray for, this is how you should pray. He's saying, this is the mindset that you need before you can even pray. So to be alert and of sober mind is what we might say in our language today, like keep your cool. Don't lose your head. 
Or in a sports kind of metaphor, it's keep your head in the game. And that's what Peter is saying here. Keep your head in the game. Challenge us to stay focused and aware about what's happening around us because only then can we pray effectively. Now, Peter is the perfect one to tell us this because he experienced this firsthand. You know how many times in this letter of 1 Peter, we've gone back to the Gospels and reminded ourselves of something that happened to Peter as he followed Jesus and how it impacted what he writes in the letter. And that's true for right here too. Remember as they came to the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before Jesus was nailed to the cross, and Jesus says to his disciples, including Peter, I want you to wait here and what? Pray. Watch and pray. And Jesus goes to pray by himself. But what happens to them while Jesus is away? They fall asleep. If any of you are doing that right now, you need to wake up right now. <laughs> he says, be alert. Be alert. And so Peter is remembering. I think he's probably remembering that. He's saying, don't fall asleep like I did. Be aware. Be alert. Be awake. Keep your mind in the game, your head in the game, so that you'll know how to pray effectively. Last Sunday, uh, Novak Djokovic was eliminated from the U.S. Open Tennis Championship. Very unexpected because he was the favored, the number one seed, number one player in the world. And he was the favored to win the U.S. Open. But in a round of 16 match, he lost the first set, which is not a big deal. It's best of five, plenty of room to come back. But in his kind of frustration over losing that game and that set, he kind of took a tennis ball and just kind of whacked it back towards the back of the tennis court. I don't know, just maybe intending to hit the wall or hitting it over to where the ball boys were. He just wasn't thinking. He wasn't looking. And he hit a lineswoman right in the throat. And, of course, as soon as he did it, he knew he, should, he ran over to her to make sure she was okay. So it was a good reaction. But out of frustration, he did that. And the rule is if you hit somebody by, with a ball like that, and it's not that it just happens to hit them on a, in the middle of a play, but if you hit a ball out of frustration and it hits somebody, you're eliminated. Not just from that match, from the whole tournament. It didn't matter if he was the number one player in the world, the, the favorite to win the tournament. In that moment of frustration, when he lost his head, he was done. Out of the tournament completely. This is what Peter is warning us. He said, don't, in the middle of frustration or anger, or upset with what's going on around you, be careful not to lose your head so that you'll know how to pray. You know, there, there are a lot of crazy things going on in our world today. And there maybe there are a lot of crazy things going on in your life right now, too, that are adding to that. And Peter is saying to us, you know, be careful because when that happens, and it was happening for the people he was writing to, don't lose your head. Keep focus. Don't get caught up in the craziness. Be aware, watch, and pray. When difficulties, when challenges come into our lives, the word from Peter is don't lose your head, get on your knees. Don't lose your head. Get on your knees. Pray. I like the way that the author and theologian Wayne Grudem has, has kind of wrapped this up and kind of summarized this verse. He says, Christians should evaluate events correctly 
in order to be able to pray more intelligently, effectively, and appropriately. Is this such a good word for us right now? Because in the midst of craziness, we as believers need to be the ones who are evaluating what's going on around us in our world, evaluating it carefully, biblically, rightly, so that we can pray effectively for ourselves, for our families, for our church, for others, for our world. That's our mission. That's our responsibility as God's followers. And we need to pray in the right way. Keep our heads. Watch and pray. Peter goes on. He gives us another priority. And this one is one we've heard from him before already in this letter. He says it again. Because the end is coming, love deeply. Love deeply. Verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. If there's one theme that's consistent throughout the New Testament, it's this theme, right? Have love one another over and over and over. It doesn't matter who you're reading, the Gospels, the words of Jesus. You read Paul, you read Peter, you read John, you read James. They're all saying the same thing. This is a priority, to love one another. And here Peter is talking to believers. He's talking about loving fellow believers. And he's saying love deeply. Okay, what does he mean by that? Now, when we use that word, those kind of words together, it, oftentimes we think of it as something kind of squishy and touchy-feely and very emotional. But that was not the meaning of that word. This word deeply meant to stretch or to strain. It was a word that was used of like an, when an athlete is straining with all their effort in a competition. That's deep. And so, you know, remember how you know, you've seen these sports pictures and sports illustrator or whatever, and they, this kind of freeze frame of an athlete in action. So, like we mentioned tennis a minute ago, it's the tennis player just stretching, reaching with all they've got to get to that ball, or a basketball player up and just pulling down that rebound, and they just catch that moment when all the muscles are just tensed and strained in full effort. That's the word here. That's the word that Peter uses. He says, that's how we're supposed to love each other, straining toward we'll love, stretching ourselves in that effort to love one another. And this intense and as I thought about that, studied that this week, I thought, man, I have to admit that I don't think about loving others with that kind of intensity, that kind of effort. That's what Peter is calling out of us. Why? Why do we need to put that kind of deep love effort into this? Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, you've heard that phrase before, I'm sure, and maybe you've used that phrase, but what does he mean by that? Because that's kind of a tricky phrase. Is Peter saying by that, that if we love others, then our sins are covered? So by loving others, our sins get covered. Now that, that's, that would be a works salvation. That would mean our forgiveness from God is dependent on what we do. That's not the case. It's dependent on what Jesus did because of the cross that our sins are forgiven and covered. That's not what he means here. So then is he saying that if we love others, then that means we have to ignore the sin of others, pretend it doesn't exist, or even worse, lie about it. Sometimes that's the way we use that phrase, cover up. Is Peter talking about a cover-up for other people to love them in that way? No, that can't be it either. What does he mean that love covers over a multitude of sins? Well, it seems that Peter is referring to or referencing a proverb here. 
So we'll put up on the screen here Proverbs 10, 12, which says, Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. So in this proverb, covering over sin stands in contrast to stirring up conflict, right? So Peter is saying that when we love others well, we won't stir up sin. We will instead forgive sin. That's what he's talking about here. This this is a reference to forgiveness because Peter is acknowledging there will be sin. He's not saying he's expecting that Christians will act perfectly toward one another. No, we are going to sin because we're sinners. But he's saying you love each other even still despite the sin. You bear with one another. You keep loving each other. And in that way, you are in forgiving one another. You are covering over sin. Maybe it's like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. In the love chapter, he says, love keeps no record of wrongs. That's a hard one, but that's exactly what love is. True, genuine love keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't keep this running tally of the sins of others so you can bring it back up and put it in their face. No, it forgives sin. So last fall, Dallas police officer, maybe you heard the story and saw this, Amber Geiger was convicted of, of killing a man. She walked into an apartment that she apparently thought was her own apartment. She thought he was an intruder, pulled her service weapon, shot him, and killed him. And so she was convicted of, of that killing, and there was an impact, what they call an impact hearing. So the family and friends are allowed to voice to the judge how this, the death of their loved one has impacted them, how the actions of this person who's been convicted has impacted them. And in this particular case, the younger brother, the 18-year-old brother of this man named Botham who was shot and killed was on the stand. And if you heard any of this, saw this, maybe you'll remember this, but I want you to hear just about a minute or so of his testimony in that hearing. Here it is. I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because... I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. an amazing picture of forgiveness, of covering over sin. And in a moment when he, who, this guy who lost his brother, is looking at this person who shot his brother, instead of listing off all the reasons how this has impacted him, how it's hurt him, how it's ruined their family, and how, how terrible this was, and how she should be um, 
punished. Instead of all this, he says, I want you to know Jesus and I forgive you. That's what Peter's talking about here. That's what it means to love deeply. That's what it means to cover over sin. When someone offends you, do you repeat that to others? Make it worse, spread it around, make them pay. Or do you cover it over with forgiveness? Peter goes on to give us an example of this kind of deep love in verse 9. And, and it's, at first it seems almost like he's just going to something else, but I don't think he is. I think he's giving this as an example of what it means to love deeply. So don't you see the connection here? He says in verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, the, our problem is when we hear the word hospitality, we think of entertaining, right? So hospitality means you have somebody over for dinner, you maybe host a bread breaker group like we're doing here at Trinity, or maybe a f- friend or family member needs a place to stay for a night and you invite them over to your house for the night. But remember the context here. These believers were facing the beginning of persecution. It was going to continue to get worse. There were believers that had already been run out of their place, of their homes and their towns, probably coming into this place. And for some of them, there are other Christians who to, would take them in. That was their only hope. That was their only place to live. So hospitality meant that you brought, were able and willing to bring people into your home and house them and feed them. And it didn't, didn't, nobody even knew how long that would be. You were not just opening up your home. Hospitality here in this reference, in this context, meant opening your life. And so these first century Christians in Asia Minor were were facing this. And so when, when Paul says, do this without grumbling, it makes sense because he's calling out something deep and extreme. This is more than just a little bit of an inconvenience. This meant sharing all that they had with those in need. That's true hospitality. And maybe you think, you know, we don't face this today. This doesn't happen to us today. And nobody, this isn't really a need. Well, right now, I'm not going to tell you the name, keep their, their privacy, but there's somebody, a family here at Trinity, who found out that there's a, a missionary family that was back and had three kids and they needed a place to stay for a whole month. And so rather than just offering a couple of rooms in their house, they let them use the whole house. They moved out for a month so that this missionary family would have a place to stay of their own for that month. That's, that's more than just an inconvenience. That's giving what we have, a great example of giving what we have to help the needs of others. Loving others deeply means we let others into our homes, into our hearts, into our lives. That's what Peter is describing here. And I know this especially is tough right now. So again, we have to understand our times. In, in, this, in this virus season, we have experienced more separation and more isolation than ever. And that makes following through on this kind of command to love one another and show hospitality to one another, it makes it harder. So I think the call here, we have to just be careful that we place loving others above just taking care of ourselves or getting our own way or making sure our personal choice or opinion or belief about something, that can't be the priority. As Christians, Paul says, Peter says here, the priority is to love and care for one another. So that means being willing 
to risk our time, our reputations, our finances, our possessions, our health, our well-being, whatever it is that God asks us to be willing to give, to share, even to give up for the sake of others, we need to be ready to do it. It's the same thing Jesus was showing us in, in the, what we call the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? And who is my neighbor? What does it mean to love my neighbor? And Jesus describes this, and this man who comes by and he sees this man in need on the side of the road and, and he sets aside his, his travel plans and his agenda, whatever else was, he was planning to do, it gets set aside to come and help this man in need. That's true hospitality. Or when, when Paul is in his travels and his com- companions are with him, and in pl- some places where they went, there was such a stir. I mean, it was, it was literally risking your life to provide housing, hospitality to Paul and his companions. That's true hospitality. And that's what Peter is calling us to here, to take a risk in order to show love and kindness and hospitality to others. Why? Because the end is coming. Because there's very little time. Because Jesus could come back at any moment. Because His work, God's work, is, God, has to be the most important thing in our lives. So because the end is coming, love deeply. And then last, He says, because the end is coming, serve faithfully. Serve faithfully. Verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Now, I deserted, uh, d- devoted, sorry, I devoted an entire sermon to spiritual gifts back in February when we were doing our D201 discipleship series. So we talked about it there. So I won't go into a lot of that we talked about then. But instead of doing what Paul does in terms of listing all these different examples of spiritual gifts, Peter just kind of wraps it all up, a summary in just a couple of verses here. So essentially, he's reminding us that as believers, every one of us as believers have been gifted by God, by His Spirit, and the purpose of that gift is to minister to other people, to serve other people. And we're to be, as Peter says, stewards of that grace. This is God's grace to us that He gifts us. We're to steward that grace by extending that grace to others, and we're to use it, that means, that gift, for God's kingdom purposes. And then he lumps all the gifts into just two categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts, and shows us how to put them to use. So verse 11, he says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So if you're exercising a speaking gift, then you must be completely dependent on God's words as you speak. It's not about spouting out your own words, your own thoughts, your own opinions, not at all. It's it's exercising that gift and communicating God's truth to others. If you're exercising a serving gift, then it's completely dependent on God's strength to do so. So you don't do what you can do best, it's what God wants to do through you. It's in His strength. It's in dependence on Him. And so Peter's really emphasizing that here. So the bottom line is if you're a follower of Christ, then God has graciously gifted you to serve others in the body of Christ. And you have a stewardship responsibility to use that gift, whether it's a speaking gift or a serving gift, to do it in full dependence on God, however you use it, in dependence on God. And when you do that, 
then God receives the glory for that. The credit goes to Him, not to us. That's what shows you it's truly a spiritual gift, right? You know, the government gave most of us unexpected gifts just a couple months ago with those um, stimulus checks. And, uh, you know, a lot of people chose to do something else with that if they didn't particularly need it for themselves, weren't out of a job or whatever, and maybe many of you did that. I read about a couple in Southern California that used their $2,400 stimulus check and gave it to a local food bank to provide food for others who were hurting and in need and struggling. But not only did they do that, they then encouraged and challenged other people in their community to do the same thing. They let other people know about this need and about this opportunity. They made that known. They brought attention to that need and that ministry. And so by giving, they brought in that attention. And I think that's what Peter's describing here, that when we use our gifts for Him, we bring attention to the work of His kingdom and we bring glory to Him in the process. And that's the goal. And so Peter's saying to us here, hey, the end is near, so speak and serve now. Use your gift because the return of Christ should motivate us to serve faithfully. So what are we to be doing to be prepared for the coming of Christ? Peter tells us to pray alertly, to love deeply, and to serve faithfully. And this is what Jesus wants to find us doing when He comes back. At the end of verse 11, Peter, it sounds like he's ending his letter again. We talked about this a few weeks ago, right? A couple points in the letter here. Peter sounds like he's wrapping up, but he's not quite wrapping up yet. But as he thinks about living with the end in sight, he breaks into this spontaneous praise. So he says at the end of verse 11, To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And he's not praying that Jesus would be given power and glory. So we can maybe misunderstand what he's saying. He's saying, he's affirming, Jesus Christ has all the power, he has all the glory, and he has it forever. And then his amen is like an exclamation point on that. Amen literally means, so it is. That's the way it is. So we pray and we love and we serve Because Jesus has all the glory, He has all the power, and He has it forever. And He is coming back for us. When our kids were little, and I end with this today, that one of the things that Beth would do is as it got later in the afternoon and she knew it was about time for me to come home, she would tell the kids, now, all right, get, get things cleaned up, get your chores done so that when Dad comes home, you can play. And this was before the day when they had the apps, you know, where you could actually see somebody's progress and know exactly when they're going to drive into your driveway. And she wasn't sure. You know, didn't know what the traffic in Houston would be like and how long it would take me to get home. And the kids didn't know for sure either. But that, that kind of heightened the anticipation because they didn't know for sure when Dad would be home. So they would scurry around, get their chores done, get things put away. And then the kids, the two little ones, would go to the front window of our house and just sit there watching out the window until I would drive up the driveway. And this was a low window in our house, so even the little munchkins, they could see out the window. And, And as soon as they would see me pull into the driveway, they would start yelling and screaming, run out the front door, down the sidewalk, and come and want to jump in the car on my lap before I could even get the car into the garage. That was their anticipation of my return. P. 
Peter says to us, the end of all things is near. Jesus is coming back. Get to your chores. Get ready. Pray and love and serve because Jesus is coming back. The next to last verse of the Bible are the words of Jesus. He says, yes, I am coming soon. The last words of Jesus in our Bible. And the follow-up to that is John, who wrote the book of Revelation, saying, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. That's our prayer. Let's pray it now. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that you've given us your word, you've given us this reminder, you've, you've given us our calling, our, our, our marching orders, that what you want from us as your people, as your followers, that you've called us to keep our heads clear and, and focused on you so that we can pray well. You've called us to love each other deeply, to give ourselves to one another, to be hospitable, opening up our lives and ourselves to one another. And you've called us to serve, to use the gifts you've given us to serve you and serve one another faithfully. Lord Jesus, we want to be found doing that when you come back, watching for you, waiting for your return, ready for your return. Because it could be at any day, today, tomorrow, next week, when you come back to take us home, when you call us to meet you in the clouds. So, Lord Jesus, we say and we pray with the Apostle John this morning, even so, Lord Jesus, come. Come to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.